Clue, Kai Clue, Pedran Clue. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Hello, everybody. So wonderful to be here with you once again. And, you know, it's always great speaking with you, uh, Dr. Totten, but today is extra special because we have a fantastic guest. Uh, Jane English is with us, and we'll be speaking with her momentarily. So we're very excited about uh, today's show. But before that, we have a big announcement. Uh, we'd like to announce that uh, Dr. Tot and I have already started recording a second podcast called 10,000 Things. And anybody who's listened to the show a whole bunch knows that, you know, in the beginning, well, not in the beginning, that sounds very uh, Abrahamic religion-wise. Uh, <laughs> as we talk about the Tao is, you know, the entirety of the universe and existence and its beautiful dance that it does. But as we say, as, as they say in the uh, Tao Te Ching, uh, when we look at it from a human perspective, often we only see the manifestations of the Tao, which are the 10,000 things. So what's this Tao all about focuses on the Tao. We've decided to create a second show called the 10,000 things where we talk about uh, topics that we kind of bring up on what's this Tao all about, but aren't necessarily so related to Taoism that we uh, take an entire episode, you know, because people... you. Plug, you know, you put on this show and you want to hear us talking about the Tao. You don't want to hear us talking about tangential things. So we started a second podcast uh, called The 10,000 Things, and we've already recorded one episode where Dr. Totten and I talk for just about an hour about the book Escape from Freedom by Eric Fromm. And we look at his exploration of man's relationship to authority and how people can break free from our relationships to authority or how to break free from kind of the nature of uh doc, dr carl tell tell them what we talked about <laughs> yeah one of besides um uh, th- what you just mentioned about you know what what is the nature of, of authoritarian uh mindset author- authoritarian personality what is the attraction to that to many people in the world uh what are authoritarian regimes about and how do they get the support of people we also talked a lot about kind of an internalized mindset of authoritarianism and how we can keep ourselves locked in a prison of our own device if we're not careful, you know, in an attempt perhaps to fit in, to get along, you know, to not be criticized by others by being, you know, free thinkers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think we had a really nice discussion about that's very pertinent at this time in human history, by the way, yeah. know, uh, ab- about the nature of freedom and how some people uh, have a tendency to try to escape, as Eric Fromm said, from their own sense of freedom and give up that power 
to someone else or something else or some institution or some cultural uh, constraints rather than live their life as free, creative human beings. So I think, uh, you know, you're going to ha- have a really good time, you know, listening to our discussion. Yeah, so the the new show, 10,000 Things, it basically expands on the ideas and explores new areas of philosophy, psychology, and culture through a Taoist lens. So we're so excited to do that, and it's not going to impede in any way on what's this Tao all about, which will be strictly about Taoism. And then people who want to hear me and Dr. Carl yammer on about other stuff, uh, and a lot of times just expand on stuff we brought up on the show, uh, you can listen to the show exclusively. It's only available here at patreon.com backslash what's this Tao all about. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash, what's this Tao all about? And you're going to get a new episode every month of the 10,000 things. Uh, we're going to put blog posts up there, and all it costs is $5.99 a month. And with for that, you get you know full show, some blog posts from time to time. Uh, I'm sure Dr. Carl will throw a meditation up there every once in a while. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and just expands on what we're doing. And it's our new way for people to support the show. Because as you know, putting What's This Tao All About uh, out takes a lot of time and uh, effort and uh, a few bucks here and there and a lot of time responding to emails and all this stuff. So this is just a way to kind of, you know, uh, get a little compensation for what we're doing and help us spread the Tao worldwide. So, <laughs> yes, you basically just go to patreon.com slash What's This Tao All About. You can cancel at any time, but it's five ninety nine a month and you'll get this fantastic show that we're so proud of. And sorry for the long plug at the beginning, but with that, we would like to introduce our guest today, Jane English. Welcome, Jane. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here with you, and hello to all of your listeners. It's been a long journey I've been on with the Tao. I first first learned the word Tao while I was in graduate school. I picked up a little little paperback version of Tao Te Ching. I can't remember what, I think maybe the Wu version. I can't remember. While mm-hmm. I at a bookstore in Madison, Wisconsin, while I was in graduate school. And that started a long journey. So your uh, translations that you worked on with uh, your uh, ex-husband. Uh, uh, late to, husband. It was never husband. really ex. He died in 1985. Ah, got it. I'm mm. sorry. My apologies. Uh, Ga, ja, is it Ja Fu? Ja Fu, yeah. Ja Fu, uh, that she worked on on uh, the inner chapters by Changsa and the Tao Te Ching have kind of been seen as the gold standard of translations for these two seminal texts in the Taoist canon. And they're the ones that Dr. Carl Totten and I uh, read every time uh, when we read stuff on the show. Um, so why do you think that they've been received as that? What's the certain essence of them that separates them from everything? I think it's that it's an illustrated version because the even more ancient language of the natural world um, balances the words. It's mm-hmm. very easy when you're reading something to just get into your linear monkey mind and mm-hmm. having it accompanied and spaced between the words. There's all these pictures of nature that I seem to have been drawn to making. Um, that's what I'm told that, that the strength of our edition is, is that there's, there's two languages going on at once. And 
that makes it kind of strange tonight because tonight we're just using words and I can't show you any of the pictures, <laughs> but so be yeah. it. <laughs> you know, there's an interesting thing. You have a new book out called The Rainbow of Tao, and mm. it's, you know, is in which is different from the books we were just referencing, which have black and white photography, which is elegant and beautiful. This you kind of open up to full color and you say something very interesting in that book that, excuse me, that, uh, that the debt, like that, you know, about how, here, let me quote this right correctly, uh, that you describe Tao as a word we use to point beyond words. Exactly. Yeah. And let, then, me and read, also... let me read, let me read, excuse me, I want to read something. When you open this book, A Rainbow of Tao, the cover is a picture of a rainbow with a leafless tree beside it, and then a little yin-yang and the 10,000 things symbol. It's like the yin and the yang each take up a third of it, and then there's a rainbow in the other third. It's like a threefold yin-yang symbol. Um, mm -hmm. But when you open the cover... The first thing you see on the inside of the cover is this silly little picture of a black bug. And I put it there <laughs> quite intentionally because I want people to laugh a little bit and not be too serious. Oh, this is ancient stuff. We should be, <laughs> you know, reverent or something like that. I want to laugh. And then on the facing page, which is where the title page usually would be, this is one of the delights of self-publishing. You don't have any editor looking over your shoulder telling you this is how you're supposed to do it. I got to do mm -hmm. it however I wanted to. So let me read this thing. And it's so interesting that you folks call yourself, what is this thing called Tao? What I put on this page is, who is Tao? Mm -hmm. And I'll just read it. Here in the West, language structures our world into objects and actions. We have nouns and we have verbs. Among the nouns, we make a distinction between the what's and the who's, between inanimate things and living beings. Translations from Chinese usually treat Tao as a noun. However, Tao cannot be so neatly categorized. It is both noun and verb. It is neither noun nor verb, nor is it easily classified as a who or a what. A defining statement of our Western culture is found in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the word. Yet Tao Te Ching begins with a starkly contrasting line that roughly translates as, the Tao that can be put into words is not the real Tao. And mindful of the paradox of using words and images to approach Tao, I invite you to enter this book with a spirit of adventure. Explore with me this Tao that has, over the past few decades, come from the Far East into our Western world. And then you turn the page, and then you get the title page. So I just want yeah. to catch people right away. Good. Well, I, you know, I really like what you said about how you put the picture of the big black bug in order to have a, a sense of irreverence, uh, <laughs> which, especially as somebody who is, you know, intimately familiar with the works of Changsa, and the fact that humor runs throughout Taoism and, and all the major Taoist texts, uh, I think that's a great way to start things off because it's it's an approach that on our show uh, we definitely take because we don't we didn't want to be the type of show where there's a guy like 
you're talking about the Tao. You know, some <laughs> kind of full of it guy doing it, but the, the, the Tao is experiential and everything in the Tao, including humor and sorrow, and it, it, it all exists in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of my uh, teachers, who I'm sure you've all heard about, um, you know, you know, Dr. Kai D. You know, he was the uh, founder of the Taoist uh, sanctuary here in Los Angeles. You know, where I studied with my teacher Cheryl uh, Liu, who was a Taoist priest and kung fu and qigong master from China. But the the sanctuary was opened by Kai Di. You know, who wrote a, f a classic book on uh, uh, the I Ching called the Eleventh Wing. You know, many years ago, he was also an actor. But one of the things that he said was, you know, there's room within the Tao for all things. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. And so, yes. you know, being playful and irreverent and, you know, humorous and serious and everything in between. Well, know, I feel space. like you, you folks know a lot more about the Tao than I do. I've never studied <laughs> any of those books or any of that stuff. Jafu taught a little bit when we were in the big communal house at Still Point. He taught some of that, but I never was really interested. I was out playing with my camera. <laughs> <laughs> and the other so, thing, mm -hmm. while we were talking about humor, the other thing that I wanted to read from A Rainbow of Tao is, wait a minute, I've got it in the wrong place. Yeah, here it is. See, in this, in this book, A Rainbow of Tao, there are color photographs on every page and there are little snippets of Tao Te Ching, not whole chapters, but little pieces. Mm -hmm. And there are little snippets of Chuan Tzu. And then also there are little snippets of Jane English. Um, mm -hmm. My calendar publisher at Amber Lotus Publishing that now publishes the annual Tao calendar that I think mm -hmm. is in its mm -hmm. 31st year. I published it wow. myself for 10 years or so, and I've had the privilege of having a good big publisher now. But anyhow, um, I was visiting them and one of them said to me, you know, you must have something to say about the Tao. You know, why don't you <laughs> write down some of what you know about the Tao? So for a year or so, I kept a little notebook in my purse and whenever I thought something that I thought was worth capturing, I scribbled in it. And some of the pieces that are in the, in the Rainbow of Tao come from that notebook. They also come from a few other things I've written, but I want to read this one. It's on page 32, and the photograph that accompanies it is of a little ant hole with a little pile of sand around it. One of the first photogra photographs that I made back in the 1960s, and opposite it is a photograph of some beautiful flowers against a dark-colored wooden fence. So, first, on the left-hand page, there are my own words. <clears throat> Do I know anything about Tao? How would I know if I know anything about Tao? I laugh. What impossible questions. Then on the facing page, there's this from the Tao Te Ching, Chapter 41. The wise student hears of the Tao and practices it diligently. The average student hears of the Tao and gives it a thought now and again. The foolish student hears of the Tao and laughs aloud. If there were no laughter, the Tao would not be what it is. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of, I keep coming back to that. 
You know, Jane, a little while ago, you mentioned that you first heard about the Dow when you were in, um, I think you said graduate school. Um, I, I, how did you get from there to there? What, what were you studying? I was working on a PhD in experimental subatomic particle physics. Think big bubble chambers and accelerators and rooms full of electronics and all that kind of stuff. Big toys. <laughs> wow. I, by the way, I have a communications degree, so there's a little bit of a chasm mentally uh, and intelligence-wise <laughs> between myself and you. <laughs> oh, but you, played, you played with electronics, too. I tell people sometimes, jokingly, I tell them I have a PhD in plumbing. <laughs> because we were working with, you know, nitrogen gas to keep the sparks down and all kinds of electrical and electronic wires and this and that and the other thing. So so you were studying physics and then uh, from reading your book, Rainbow of Tao, uh, you were with your husband and in still point in the uh, Sangre de Cristo Mountains uh, near the, I guess, New Mexico and Colorado border and where he was working on the translation and you were taking photography. And uh, I guess Alan Watts, the philosopher we talk about many times on the show, was there. You've got a little and... bit. Wait a minute. You have the time timeline a little mixed up. I met John okay. in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California okay. while I was working at a physics experiment at Lawrence Laboratory in Berkeley. And wow. my the woman, my landlady, said, let's go down. There's a place down there. It's a meditation center. Let's go down there for the weekend. Sure, sure, let's go. So I went, and that's how I met Jafu. And we began, we had every morning, he, we meditated, and then we had breakfast, and then we'd have a morning meeting. And Jafu decided that he wanted to translate the Tao Te Ching. Now, he was born in 1919, I believe, had a classic Chinese education up until everything, the big upheavals in China, starting with the Second World War. Yeah. Um, but he, his father was one of the founders of the Bank of China, so they were well off, which came back to bite them later in the Cultural Revolution. But at oh, that geez, point... Yeah. Um, they had a summer house out in the countryside, so they'd go out of Shanghai, and they, his father hired all these tutors. So there was a calligraphy tutor and a music tutor, and they studied the classics and all that. So Jafu had quite an amazing in-depth classical Chinese education. And after he was one of the one of the early people at Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. Uh -huh. He had met Alan Watts. He was actually, he'd been in the U.S. to study business because his father was a banker, and so the son goes to Wharton School. And he was ostensibly on his way back to China when he landed in San Francisco, found East West House, found Alan Watts and a bunch of other people, including the people who founded Esalen. So Jafu was the first treasurer of Esalen Institute and apparently he kept books on an abacus, which was quite confounding <laughs> when the IRS came to audit. <laughs> I'm going to do that next time, by the way, when you know people come around for my taxes. So I'm going to have it on an abacus and get away with some fun stuff. Um, so I, evidently you spent time with Alan Watts. I heard that he married you and Jafu. What was Alan Watts like? He seems like he was uh, a delight. 
He and was, at but the you same know, time, I met just him from listening to him. My my the sum total of my meeting him in person was that one evening, because Jafu mm. and I on Christmas Day, 1970, we went up to Mill Valley, from Santa Cruz, from the Santa Cruz Mountains, Los Gatos actually, and we were visiting a friend of Jafu's in on the hills outside of Mill Valley, and this man said. You know, here's Jafu with his next wife. There were there was one before me, but it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. And this this man said, Well, let's go over to Alan's and have him do a Buddhist ceremony for you. So we did. Wow. And that was the only time I ever met Alan Watts. I had, however, mm. while I was in graduate school, read a lot of his books. Um, I remember the first one was the book on what is it why the book on the taboo of knowing who tell you, you really are. the book on the taboo of knowing who you really are right and right. i was just fascinated with them but i came to a place this is while i was still in graduate school where books just didn't make it they weren't satisfying i remember reading one of alan watts books and we were going on he was going on and on it's like yeah but 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 there's something that's not feeding me here and i threw the book across the room and <laughs> I guess my response was to go out and photograph nature and learn directly from the real Taoist. <laughs> I mean, that's what the Tao would basically says, right? It's like abandon knowledge and, you know, and get, ri get right into the doing instead of the thinking and the yeah. talking, which yeah. you're doing right now. Now, in, in your book, Rainbow of Tao, you talk about how you didn't completely have an affinity for Taoism until you understood how it related to physics. Can you unpack that a bit? Well, the fascinating thing for me was that when I was an undergraduate at Mount Holyoke College, class of 1964, I'm not young, I'm 78 now, um, okay. had my 60th college reunion back in 2014, which was a ball, but anyhow, that's <laughs> a, a distraction here. Um, I remember the first time we had, in, as a physics major, we had a class, an introductory class on quantum physics. And that is really strange stuff. Because basically, if you try to put it in words, you find yourself saying things like, well, light is a wave. No, light is a particle. Well, it's both and it's neither, all at the same time. See, the paradox there is that a wave has to have some extension. You know, it has to be spread out to see the highs and the lows. And yeah. a particle can be infinitely small. So you're saying it's infinitely small and it's spread out both at the same time, which mm. messes with your monkey mind really bad. <laughs> yeah. But then we were told, well... Don't worry about that, that it doesn't make sense in words. Notice that the mathematics works and you get answers that predict what the experimental results are. So we were just told to ignore that discomfort, which I worked on doing. And then after jumping ahead, our Tao Te Ching came out in 1972. I believe it was 1974 when the Chuan Tzu was coming out. Jafu was doing some workshops in England, and I flew to London 
to meet the British publisher of the Tao Te Ching, and then I was going to meet up with Jafu in Paris afterwards. And what happened was that, you know, it was my first time flying across the ocean, so I was completely jet-lagged. We landed at what was six o'clock in the morning. It had been a night flight, six o'clock in the morning, London time, and I was oh. riding with Oliver Caldicott, a really delightful old-style publisher, bookman. He was writing me in, and he said, I had a manuscript come to me yesterday. I'd like you to take a look at it. It's called The Tao of Physics, and you're a mm -hmm. physicist, and you do the Tao. I want you to look at this and tell me what you think of it. So I looked at it, took one look, and said, of course you're going to publish this. Well, it had been turned down by 12 publishers already at that point, but Oliver Caldicott and his business, Wildwood House, published it. So he invited um, Fritjof Capra, the, the author, to come to dinner, and we had a good time and, and so forth and so on. So then a few months, fast forward a couple of months later, I guess it was after, yeah, it was after Jafu and I had gone our separate ways. It was in the fall of 1975 that Fritjof did me the, the honor of sending me um, a set of galleys. This was before the internet, so they were physical paper galleys. Okay? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I was mm -hmm. sitting on the couch. I was, at that point, engaged in a practice called sensory awareness with Charlotte Selver, who mm -hmm. was one of the teachers of Fritz Perls in Germany many years before. And so I was in a, we, we were meeting at the San Francisco Zen Center's Green Gulch Farm in Marin County. Okay. And so I was, this was on a weekend. We didn't have any class and I had this, this manuscript to look. So I sat on the couch in the sunshine in this little house that we had rented in Bolinas, California. Oh yeah. And oh. I was reading along. And yeah, this is good what Fritjof's writing. I like this. This makes sense to me. Jafu and I had taught Oh, the year before in Colorado College, he taught a, a Tai Chi class, and I taught a little course on um, Chinese philosophy and modern physics. This is before anybody else was talking about it. So when Fritjof and I met, it was like, wow, we're both doing the same thing. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So I was reading his his manuscript, and I came to the place where he was talking about the physicists who had invented quantum mechanics in the 1920s. And he said that this was not just an intellectual thing. He said they must have had some awareness of atomic reality. In other words, of the reality wow. of this place where things are both and neither all at the same time, this very strange reality. When I read that phrase, as the Zen people would say, the bottom fell out of the bucket mm. because everything changed. I, it's hard to say I, because I didn't exist for a moment. Mm -hmm. There was just consciousness. And the first wow. discrete thing that I can describe, it was like little sparkles. And no, I was not on any psychedelic drugs, <laughs> but it was like that kind of thing. <laughs> And then those little wow. sparkles coalesced into the trees that were outside the window. But there was a difference. They were no longer separate from me. Yes. There was no me and there were no other things. But I could see these forms. And 
one of the other people in this group, a woman whose husband is a psychiatrist, a delightful friend of mine, Natalie Edney. In fact, a quote by her faces the title page in A Rainbow of Tau. Um, She looked at me. She was used to looking at people in all kinds of different states of mind because it was a psychiatrist husband, and she'd been his office manager. She said, you and know, it must have been of... really fun to be. Oh, sorry, and it must have been really fun to be in the Bay Area uh, around that time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know? It was. Yeah. And anyhow, she looked at me and said, "You're in some kind of transcendent state." And oh, okay. <laughs> and then that state lasted of no separation lasted for about on clock time about a half an hour, and Jeez. then all of a sudden, little me wanted to exist again. And as soon as I existed, everything else popped out, became out there. So that's a long-winded wow. answer to your question. <laughs> but I tell people no, that, that I went all the way through physics and fell out the back door. <laughs> so, you know, Dr. Totten and I often refer to the, the Tao as, some, as a theory of everything before there was a theory of everything. Do you agree with that? I agree with that very much. You know, it's it's like the, the the mythology of whether Lao Tzu ex- existed as an ordinary person in space and time or not. But the story of him heading out to, you know, tired of the ways of the world and heading out just to be in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then he was asked to write down his wisdom. But he starts with, well, what I'm going to tell you really isn't it. But here, I'll, I'll write it a little bit anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the you know that's how I want to go out you know when uh, when when it when it's time for me to exit you know I want to be like well I'll tell you what happened but yeah, I'm never going to get to it. Well, you know, you were talking a little bit ago about desire and desireless and about the ten thousand things. Yes. I always, when I look at somebody else's translation of the Tao Te Ching, I look at chapter one and see what they do with the lines that um, Jafu told me about. He says, like, ever desireless, one can see the mystery. Mm-hmm. Ever desiring, one can see the 10,000 things. Most translations make a value judgment there. And Jafu pointed out to me that in the Chinese, it's just desireless mystery. Desire, 10,000 things. And one of them is not better than the other. If we did not desire, we wouldn't have this wonderful world that we're in. It would be pretty boring. That makes me think of the the people who say, well, the creation story is God got bored. <laughs> so I think it's important to, to know. I'm glad you guys are doing something with the 10,000 things because they're equally good. It's this amazing dance that we have. And it's the balance you know, of desire and desireless. As the two, as you translate, you know, these two spring from the same source. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The great, the great Wu Chi splits apart into yin and yang, and then in yes. the yin and the yang, this is the way I put it. This is this is <laughs> the yin and the yang make whoopee, and out come the ten thousand things. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. You know. You know, you know, talking about your imagery and your photography, which is just stunning. I've loved it for uh, 30 years at least. Yeah, Um, well, the book's been out for 50 years. In in a couple of years, it'll be 50 years. Wow. 
you know. You know, I, it's often been said that a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> and, uh, and then sometimes I amend that to say and a symbol might be worth even a thousand pictures. <laughs> well, you know, when we first did our, our Tao Te Ching, um, Random House published it, and that's a whole nother story, um, how we got Random House as a publisher. Well, Vintage Books and Alfred A. Knopf for the hardbound, softbound and hardbound. Yes. Um, where was I going? Uh, about Random House and about how that was a whole story. Then, oh, back the the photos. The, the photos. value of the yeah. yeah um, well, when the book first came out, it was there were several different, you know, big Time magazine reviewed it, and they kind of laughed at it. That it was the Tao Te Ching gussied up with photographs, <laughs> and then our our longtime editor at Random House replied to them. And yes, it's been around for 2,000 years, and until it was gussied up with photographs, Time Magazine didn't bother to review it. And then the, there was another review that talked about the Tao that can't be told, but perhaps it can be photographed. I don't know whether or not, but I, what I like is that the words point, us, point part of us towards something, and the images point another aspect, and it's the, it's the it's the two parts of ourselves, like the two wings, the intuitive and the rational. Mm -hmm. If they're like two wings and we just fly with one wing, we fly in circles. But if we fly either just intuition or just rational, you don't, you don't get anywhere. You just go around in circles and do the same thing over and over. But if you have two wings that are mostly in balance with each other, then you can get somewhere. Wow. It's kind of like you said at the beginning, uh, that part about, you know, the dance of uh, words and images, you know, you said, you know, where you say, you know, this book is like a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that was fun when I realized that the book was like a sandwich because the beginning. Oh, thank you. That's neat. I hadn't seen how my own way applies, but it does. The beginning mm -hmm. of A Rainbow of Tao is a little essay about the Tao and how I came to it and so forth and so on. And then the last few pages of the book are the history of Jafu's and my Tao Te Ching and Chuan Tzu and the Tao calendars and all that. But the middle part, the juicy part, the filling in the sandwich, <laughs> is these words and images. And I think there's a picture in the back with the, um, yeah, with the, on page 120 with the, um, my little biographical thing, shows me sitting in the office where I'm sitting right now in my home in Vermont with pictures and paper and words spread all over the floor. The, the original word processor. <laughs> Reminds me of my uh, doctoral dissertation, which looked very much like that for a long time. <laughs> uh -huh. I love it. I did that originally, you know, um, actually here in Callis, Vermont, in 1971, the summer where Jafu and I and a bunch of other people were living in a house maybe a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now, and the mother of the woman whose house we were in, her mother had been a writer of, I don't know, sort of not children's books, but interesting stuff. But she gave, her mother's house was empty at the point, and she gave me the use of her mother's writing studio, and I had the photographs laid all over the floor for a month or so in the summer of 1971, the black and white photos. So that's how I work. 
a big floor is important to me. So, Jane, when did photography first become a passion of yours? Where did that stem from? Really early on, because wait a minute, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up here a little bit because a lot of the things yeah. we're talking about, people can go to my website. My own little business is Earth Heart. So the domain name I have is eheart.com. Instead of email, it's eheart, and that's H-E-A-R-T. And that's because I had a dream of a redwood grove growing up out of a big red heart. And I knew that would be the logo for my little publishing business. And I spent a couple hours one morning looking at it, saying, okay, what's your name? What's your name? And Earth Heart came up. So eheart.com, that'll lead you to all these other things. But what I wanted to say is on that website, there's also a link to a couple of books by my grandfather, who was a professor at MIT. He grew up on a farm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He was born in 1873. Um, And he was a photographer because he had access to a photo lab at MIT in you know in the early 1900s 1900 to 1938 he worked there so i grew up with photography being something that people did in fact black and white he didn't literally teach me how to do it but we had his photos hanging on the wall and i knew it was possible he gave me a brownie camera when i was about 10 or 11 you know one of those oh little my. black plastic boxes that mm-hmm. the only control is a button that you push and a knob to wind the film, that's it. So that's how I got my start. And then while I was in graduate school in Madison, Wisconsin, I had a boyfriend who was a meteorology graduate student, and he was a photographer. And he got me started um, doing darkroom work. And there was a wonderful big darkroom in the student union that you pay a modest fee and you have access to it whenever you want. So I really took off while I was in graduate school. And there were student art sales. You could sit out on the grass in, in the common air, in the common and put up all your pictures and people would come by and buy them. By gosh, people liked my stuff and they bought it. So that gave me the courage. And then after I had gotten my PhD, and was a postdoc working at Berkeley um, and had met Jafu, I realized that I could probably make a living as a photographer. And since I had had the foresight to save up my salary increase from being graduate student to being postdoc, I had a little nest egg. And so I just dove into living with Jafu and a bunch of other people in his big communal house in the Santa Cruz mountains. And I set up a dark room there down in the, on the lower level under the deck. And then when we were in Vermont, I set up a dark room in the cellar of the house we were in. So that's how, where photography came from for me. So in, in this book, Rainbow of Dow, you, uh, a lot is made about kind of the transformation from black and white to color when it comes to books about Taoism that you do. And it seems to be an expression of the full the fullness of the Tao by your use of color and your kind of celebration of color in the book. Could you elaborate on that? Well, this this is a a good parallel to something that you were talking about in one of the emails that we exchanged earlier today. 
um, I don't remember which one of you said it, but you were wanting to go beyond Taoism being just something that's ancient and Chinese, but that's something that's alive, that's relevant to the present. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it, you know, the the ancient Chinese Taoist, they had ink, they had rice paper, and so they worked mainly in black and white. And then maybe a little, the, you know, the chop, the little signature stamp would be mm-hmm. bright red. But it was basically black and white. And when I was, when I was early in my photography, before I met Jia Fu, I thought of some of my pictures like Chinese landscape paintings, and I knew where the calligraphy would go. So when Jafu and I were, were decided to work on the Tao Te Ching, it was not a big stretch for me to tell him, well, the calligraphy needs to go right here. Maybe make it two columns. No, I think it would be better if it were three columns and it works around this tree or something. So that's how it came about. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and speaking about how you're bringing it's about the the importance of Taoism kind of coming into the present and how it's just as vital now as it was. And the, you know, the meaning is still the same. Uh, a couple of years back, uh, you did a revision on the inner chapters in the Tao Te Ching, where you made it a little more, I guess, gender inclusive, uh, which makes a lot of sense given the fact that in Taoism, we say, you know, know the masculine, but keep to the feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that you put, you know, you're, you're, I'm getting a lot of stuff from you guys. I'm really appreciating this because <laughs> I had never made that connection. But I know as a woman reading all these things, well, the man who does this or, you know, he who does this, <laughs> there's a subtle distancing in the language. It's not mm-hmm. misogynist or anything like that. It's just they're not talking about me. Mm. Yes. That's yes. the, that was the problem. It's like, this is this isn't my world. This is this is the men's world, where it yeah, was so we... so focused on the masculine. So my longtime yeah, we... editor came out of um, retirement and helped me. This was in 2011. She had retired in 2000, I think, and she helped me with, you know, she's a real wordsmith better than I am. And she really helped me find a way to express things in a gender neutral way, not just by inserting female or something, but by making it literally gender neutral. Mm-hmm. And then I talked with Chung Liang. You know who he is, yeah? Chung Liang Al Huang with the Living Tao yes. Foundation? Yes. I, I studied a little Tai Chi with him oh, uh, good. a couple of times. Oh, yes. good. Good. Well, you know, the, the, the new, a little aside here, the new Chuan Tzu that I did in 1997, I had them spread all over the floor of his home in Gold Beach, Oregon. And he helped me put it together, that, la- that, that version. So anyhow, when Toinette and I worked on, we worked on, you know, making it more gender neutral so that uh, other women won't feel this distance, this subtle mm-hmm. distance. Mm-hmm. And I think that just brings it right in alignment with with what Lao Tzu, who was, you know, the original feminist, uh, was writing. The original male feminist, if he existed and was male. But, but uh, so, you know, Jane, I really appreciated you being on, on the show here. And we'd like to continue this dialogue a little bit on the 10,000 things. 
if if you can join us for a few more minutes, we'd love it. Yeah, and I would also like to say one more thing in this in this segment. Yes. That I mentioned earlier that there has been a Tau calendar. I started oh, yeah. doing it in 1991 when I was living in Mount Shasta, California. That was you know, almost 20 years after we did the Tao Te Ching. And I went to the local bookstore and I said, Missy, that was her name, what do you think of me doing a calendar based on the Tao Te Ching? And so she thought for a moment, she said, what took you so long? <laughs> so I've been doing a Tao calendar and I have a big box full of the Tao 2021 calendars sitting out in my garage. And I would love for some of them to take wing and go to the homes of some of your listeners. They can go yes. to eheart.com and you'll find them there. And I'm going to end with a dream that I had last year. It's very short. Ooh. I'm ha in the dream. I'm handed a fortune cookie with this written on the slip of paper in it. <clears throat> and then, that, then it says, work hard acquiring things, skills, experiences, wisdom. Then let it all go and be a spiritual bum. <laughs> Love it. And that's kind of where I am in my life now at age 78. That's a good, you know, I'm at 43 and I'd like to start that next week if possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having fun I'm talking sure we with can... you two guys. This is, this is a delight. Uh, let's turn. <laughs>